I think if you've got time on your side, uh, then compounding is that, that secret superpower that can turbocharge your returns. Hello, very warm welcome to you all once again. We're getting some fantastic comments back actually from you on the pod. So big thanks to all of you who sent those in. Of course, we've got another packed show for you today. So in this app, we're going to have a look at the latest inflation data in the UK and what's going on there, as well as the property market. We've also got a little offer from our friends at Interactive Investor for next week. I'm going to have a look at what the FCA has found in their crypto research with younger people. Plus, there's plenty in markets and the latest in the earnings seasons, which is underway for companies. Then we've got our interview, which is a fairly short one this week, as we speak to our journalist Faith Archer about her article in the latest magazine. That's right, issue five of Get Investing is out. The link is in the bio and it's free. So really, what excuse do you have? It's very shareable, so just share it. Just share away. And you know what I'm going to say as well, so is our podcast. So please, just one person would make a big difference. We're trying to create a nation of investors. All right, let's get going. UK inflation. So we heard that the Consumer Prices Index measure of UK inflation fell in September to 3.1% from 3.2% in August. But even though this sounds good, it doesn't actually bring us much relief because we know that input costs are rising and they haven't filtered through yet. So this includes the energy price cap hike, higher fuel prices more broadly and rising food costs, which we know are going to have an impact in October. So we spoke to our friends at Hargreaves Lansdowne. They are the UK's largest investment platform. And there's Sarah Colzo, who's head of personal finance. And she said this, inflation edged down to 3.1% in September, but this is far from the end of painful price rises. This was f- this fall was largely due to last August's eat out to help out blip dropping out of the figures. And at the same time, we're seeing pressures on prices across the board. Inflation is highly likely to come in higher for October when the hike in the energy price cap filters into the figures. It means the pressure on household budgets is a long way from over. On savings, she also added, inflation is making a mockery of savings rates. The highest rate on the market right now is 2.05% if you fix for five years. The most competitive easy access account is offering 0.66%, which is streets ahead of the typical high street rate but is still a drop in the ocean compared to inflation at 3.1%. With rate rises expected before Christmas, it's tempting to become a wait-and-see saver, but it's a risky strategy. Okay, let's move on to property. And in that market, we saw sales jump to 165,720 in September, up 59.7% in August and 67.3% year on year. So it's the highest measured since sales were first measured in 2005. And of course, the reason is down to the fact that buyers were dashing in to get ahead of the stamp duty holiday 
which ended at the end of um, September. Ms. Coles added that it was interesting because the most that buyers could save was 2,500 from the stamp duty holiday, which in comparison obviously to a house is not an enormous amount. So the surge is really demonstrating this psychological power that tax breaks have on us. Now, US earnings, we, well, we're in the midst of earnings in general, and next week is a pretty big week for earnings, uh, for profits from the big corporates, as they report like they do every quarter. And next week's going to bring us some of the ones from the big tech giants. So Facebook, Alphabet, Microsoft, Amazon, and Apple. So quite an interesting week. And I thought it was probably worth mentioning for those who have accounts at Interactive Investor, and for those who like trading individual stocks, they're offering a five-day trading fee-free offer. So, um, you know, if, you, if you're kind of keen in filling your boots with individual stocks, then um, it's going to be a good week to do that. Um, and usually there is a lot of trading around earnings as well. Interesting, they found that about 80% of their customers, both men and women, have UK stocks, um, at least one one holding in UK stocks, and it's between five to eight percent of them have US, so far less, but it is the second place. And you know, you would expect us living here in the UK that we would we would invest in the businesses that that we know and tend to be based here. But there's nothing wrong in diversifying your individual stock exposure. The US is a thunderous market; it's very large and course it's got some of the most innovative companies in the world so it wouldn't be a bad idea all right on to fca research and this is quite interesting i thought so they were having a look at the younger investors who have been dipping their toes into some of these high risk products and uh it's it's it's, it's shown some interesting things really so it said that 76 percent of under 40 year olds oh which is nice to hear that I'm I'm still young at 36, um, have who have invested in high-risk products such as cryptocurrencies and foreign exchange say they are driven by competition with friends, family, and acquaintances, and also their experience so far in this kind of rising market for crypto. 58% of them said hype on social fuels their decisions. So clearly this is quite risky behavior and you know they you know it suggests that it's not the best reason for sort of buying these quite speculative investments and it coincides with their fca invest smart campaign which they're trying to sort of help the broader public they know a lot of people have come to the market for the first time so they're trying to help them sort of understand the risks they're taking much like steps to investing Moira O'Neill, who's head of personal finance, interactive investor, someone we know well, thoroughly lovely person, said this risky behaviour chimed with their research that they did back in June. And I think I did mention it at the time. She added that, that what it showed was that a fifth of all 18 to 29 year olds, uh, which I'm not in that category, annoyingly, um, said that they had invested in Bitcoin at some point, And half of those had used a cocktail of debt to fund it. Now, what I thought was also interesting from Moira was her saying that we need to have a more balanced conversation, though, about risk and reward and be careful not to fall into, and I love this, avocado style shaming of young people and the risks they take, which is it's a really good point, actually. I mean, who likes being lectured to anyway? 
um, especially if it's older generations who are doing it. And certainly the feeling I get from, from speaking to many professional investors across the industry is that no one's really on board <laughs> with cryptos. They view it as quite baseless and, and uh, that it doesn't have intrinsic value. But th there is still something really there, you know. And um, on the flip side to that, I think what a, a lot of young people quite like is the sort of libertarian idea that it's quite disconnected from, from the sort of powers that be, the broader governments. And also my work, I thought it was interesting to mention, my work has sort of taken me into this crypto group of, of young people who, I met, I met this guy and, and, and he sort of in, introduced me into the group and, and what they do is they share ideas around, because there's lots of different crypto assets out there. And um, to be honest, I'm baffled. I mean, I, I don't understand half this stuff. It's very sophisticated what they're doing. And they definitely seem to understand the risks and they're making a lot of money. You know, one chap told me he's in six figures for Brock for his profits for for crypto ventures so um you know so i i i, th I think there is there is two sides to this story i'm sure there are an awful lot of young people though who are doing this without um, being fully aware of the risks that they're taking and of course never use debt to fund investments i think that that's a definite on to markets and they seem to be okay at the moment that quite calm u.s markets had been trading pretty well. They had six days of rising sessions, but of course, there's some there's some underlying caution. I mean, we're in the midst of of earnings season, and I think when investors are thinking about what these kind of supply chain bottlenecks and rising input costs are, are going to have on profits, and also over in Asia, I think the potential collapse of Evergrande. I mean, that that saga is still ongoing, and you know what impact that will have on the Chinese property sector. So in the US market, it's been running pretty strongly. We saw the Dow Jones, the 30 largest companies in the US, hit record highs. Also, Bitcoin has peaked at over $67,000 per coin, um, which comes in lockstep, actually, with the launch of the first Bitcoin ETF on Wall Street called ProShares ETF, which I think is pretty interesting. It'd be, it's sort of moving very much into the mainstream there and uh, certainly gives investors a lot more access but not here in the uk unfortunately the regulators not so keen on this stuff uh, so we'll have to wait a while i think the bond market in the us is also looking quite quite chilled at the moment and the vix index which measures volatility it's often called wall street's fear gauge um, is also pretty calm at the moment as well so you know trading not too bad in china there is some concerns around the real estate market we saw new home prices cooling for the first time since 2015. So they're all wondering about Evergrande, which doesn't seem to have escaped its woes just yet. Unfortunately, its $2.6 billion sale of its property services division collapsed and shares today have opened sharply lower. Everyone's wondering about default uh, on its large, it's just so much debt. Um, so, um, but but Chinese officials are, are trying to sort of calm investors in the market, and they've said that they will not allow Evergrande's problems to sort of escalate into a full-blown property market crisis. Of course, supply chain bottlenecks and rising energy prices are continuing to push through inflation. Unilever reported some good results and reported that it had hiked prices by 4% due to these input, input prices sort of rising. 
Um, we're going to talk a little bit more about that in companies in a second. Um, but while these sort of increases benefited Unilever, Volvo is struggling and its profits, even though its profits beat expectations out to inform the market that chip shortages might mess with production plans. In the UK, borrowing, borrowing fell by half as compared to where it was a year earlier, which should ease things for Rishi Sunak ahead of the budget and spending review next week. Spending also was found to have dropped 6% and tax revenues have risen by 20%. All in all, the S&P 500 is up 136 points to 4,536. The FTSE 100 is up 124 points to 7,201. The Stock 600 is up 10 points to 469. And then the K225 is up 1,030 points to 28,709. Okay, let's move on to companies. And, well, it's earnings season, as I mentioned. There's a few companies to report on here. And our friends at Hargreaves have sort of let us delve into their reports. So we'll start with Unilever. I mentioned they've been hiking prices to stay ahead of inflation. And overall, the group has managed 2.5% sales growth for Q3 and expects to maintain their margins, which seems that the analysts are quite impressed by this, given that they've got loads of rising costs, supply chain issues, and also COVID disruption. That said, I think the 2.5% figure was not great, and it seems that those rising prices have sort of affected it a little bit, but analysts are just sort of relieved the numbers aren't worse. I think they're also pleased with the dividend as well. That's been declared at 35.98p for the quarter. Tesla, they, oh, I'd love one of these cars. So they reported that their third quarter revenue came in at 13.8 billion, which is 57% year on year increase and ahead of, of what the market expected. And it was driven by this 58% increase in car revenues to 12.1 billion as overall deliveries in the quarter rose 73% to over 240,000 vehicles. So but this reduced revenue per vehicle reflects this change now as they, as the mix switches from the higher price Model S to the lower price Model 3. Nick Hyatt, who's an equity analyst at Hargreaves Lansdowne, said he thought the numbers were impressive even if operating profits were behind expectation. He also added this as well, that headwinds ranging from chip shortages to blackouts to port disruption all mean production is probably behind what management had hoped for, but the extra scale has still given Tesla the raw materials to deliver a step change in profitability. Crucially, that profitability now looks far more sustainable. Genuine and substantial free cash flow gives the group the firepower it needs to deliver on its ambitious expansion plans for the next few years. Saying all that, though, <laughs> Tesla is trading down today. And uh, it seems what investors are fretting about is more near term, and it's this call of supply chain pressures on on the margins okay final one netflix reported a 9.4 percent year-on-year increase in global memberships in the third quarter with growth driven by the asia pacific region it takes the group to a total of 213.6 million subscribers which is slightly better than management had expected quarterly operating profits also rose 33.5 percent year-on-year to 1.8 billion dollars now, this was significantly better than analysts had expected. Nick from Hargreaves also covered this one, and he said there was something for both the bulls and the bears in the earnings. For the bulls, subscriber growth 
is rocketing even faster than management had expected and gave higher revenues than analysts had predicted. And this is due to the mix of lower content spend and marketing spend for that particular quarter and fed through to tasty profits. For the bears, next quarter profits have been hammered down to 6.5% from 23.5% as they ramp up high-end content and employ the likes of LDC, that's Leonardo DiCaprio, Jennifer Lawrence, and Dwayne Johnson. Okay, that's it for companies. Let's get on to the interview, which is a fairly quick one today, and it's with our journalist, Faith Archer, who has written on why retirees ignore investment growth at their peril for the latest mag. Let's find out what she had to say. Today, we're going to talk to our resident journalist, Faith Archer, about her upcoming article in the Get Investing magazine. It will be out in a few weeks' time. I'm going to look at the fact that retirees, when you're looking at your pension portfolio, should not be ignoring growth in their pensions, contrary to what they may think, and particularly given the economic backdrop we face today. So I'd like to welcome to the pod, Faith Archer. Faith, welcome. Thank you. Glad to be here. So let's start with the idea of compounding. This is how you sort of begin your article. Why is this your best friend in investing? I think if you've got time on your side, uh, then compounding is that that secret superpower that can turbocharge your returns. Is what it is. I think most of us are very familiar with simple interest. You have £100, you've got 5% interest. If you're very lucky, uh, you add another fiver each year. Brilliant. Um, compounding is bearing in mind that if you leave um, the interest in there, then the next year, you don't just earn £5 in interest, you earn a little bit extra because you earn interest on the interest that's still in your account. Same works for stock market investing. If you're investing in the hope of um, growth and dividends and reinvest those dividends in further investments, then each year it ticks up and it's the compound return charts are really interesting because it starts so slowly and then gradually you know the longer you can leave your money growing and growing it suddenly curves right upwards and can make a massive difference einstein is attributed to saying that um compound returns were the eighth wonder of the world they can make such a difference i think i once heard it described really well it's like this idea of a snowball that's kind of rolling down the side of a mountain right yeah it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger and um yeah those final few years can see insane returns um which is exactly why it's your best friend really okay so the thing is, though, a lot of people, when they think about that, yeah, so that's why you kind of want to get investing when you're in your 20s or your 30s. But it's not just relevant to people of that age, is it? No. And I think this is actually a big mindset shift um, and partly due to changes in the pension rules back in 2015, because um, it used to be that you were betting everything on how much you'd raised in your pension at the point you retired. So, you know, you were trying to grow your pension money until you reached 65 and then you needed to protect that pension pot, take it all in cash. Well, three quarters of it in cash um, and hand it over to an annuity provider um, so that they would then give you an income for the rest of your life. All lovely, very reliable, very predictable. The trouble is annuity rates right now are very low. Um, and it, you know, it doesn't always feel like great value if you're handing over your pension pot at 65. So since 2015, with the 
pensions um, freedoms, ripping up the pensions rule book, um, people have so much more freedom and flexibility about what they do with their pension money. And so now there is the prospect that you can leave your money invested. Um, you don't need to use it all to buy an annuity. You could actually leave it invested and take money out as and when needed. Because people are living a lot longer from the age of 65, correct? I mean, that's changed dramatically over the past few decades. Well, I think life expectancy certainly has expanded to record lengths. Um, the Office of National Statistics, um, the, the latest statistics available um, are just pre-COVID, but they're showing that if, if you do live as long as 65, um, you can expect to live another 18.8 years as a man or 21.1 years, slightly longer, if you're female. Um, so, you know, the average life expectancy, you've got to plan for a couple of decades in retirement, um, but actually many of us will live even longer than that. At 65, um, according to the ONS, one in four chance of reaching 90 if you're a bloke and one in four chance of reaching 94 if you're a woman. So suddenly that, that pension money, um, you're looking two, three decades ahead, even at the point of retirement, even at 65. If you're somebody who's accessing pension money at 55, you know, you're three, four decades ahead, you can't just transform it all into cash that young and leave it to be ravaged by inflation yeah so and you can see how this has dramatically changed the equation here so rather than having to be completely de-risked at the age of 65 so that you can buy this annuity you now have decades and decades more <coughs> of potential investment growth you can see why that has just completely changed the risk with which we treat our portfolios Absolutely has. Um, what you used to see, and I'm not not sure necessarily that the pension industry is completely caught up, because um, what you used to see, especially if you had, for example, a, um, a workplace pension scheme, um, you might wait to see what's called lifestyling happening, which is as you approach retirement, um, you know, kind of starting about 10, 15 years out, um, your investments would gradually be switched from the, the riskier, um, but with a chance for higher growth investments in the stock market, in shares and companies, and they will be shoveled across gradually over time into um, bonds, gilt shares, the, the lower risk, but um, lower return options. Um, all of that makes perfect sense if you do want to have a decent cash sum at 65 that isn't suddenly gonna be decimated by a stock market drop in the, you know, the, the few months beforehand. But, if you are suddenly thinking, you know what, after 65, that money needs to last two, three decades, um, then you might well want to consider keeping some of that money invested. Maybe maybe not the, the riskiest investments out there. Um, still, still keep taking a balanced and diversified approach. Um, but it means that you, you might well still be looking for growth um, post-retirement. Okay, so it's it doesn't necessarily mean quite the same portfolio you might have at 20 or 30, but it, it does mean that there is there is a different equation there. And then there's a, there's another risk to our, you know, so if you're deciding to go into drawdown and, and you know, deal with providing yourself an income um, yourself, there's another risk to that, isn't there, at the moment that we're seeing, particularly with recent government announcements? Um, I'm, I'm guessing this is inflation and the... Um... Yeah. Yes. The peril that it can wreak on your retirement savings. <laughs> um, because 
again, it's it's the opposite of compound returns, isn't it? You know, where where they are the superpower that can um, transform um, your pension savings, inflation works in reverse. What starts off, you know, pension and inflation rise, your pint of milk ticking up by a penny or two in year one. Um, if those price rises continue year after year after year, suddenly they're starting to make a really big difference to your purchasing power. And although the Bank of England um, target for inflation is 2% a year, that's what the government has said, we have seen this year inflation ticking up to higher levels than that, which means it's going to take a shorter time um, to cut your purchasing power. Okay, so what what sort of options do we have then when we're sort of looking at our portfolio and we're thinking about you know potentially 20 30 years ahead of us what kind of options do we have to do deal with our portfolios i think it is sensible to to think about a balance of investment so not 100 percent cash but you you do want to mix in some of the lower risk steadier options um and I think just making sure that you're well diversified. So it's not all super risky. You might have a little bit of more risky stuff, um, but making sure your money is spread around the world in different types of company, different industry sectors, different parts of the, the world. You might start to, um, you know, mix it up in terms of uh, growth opportunities um, and adding in income opportunities. Because if you're trying to take money out of your pension, there is that choice. You know, do you rely on income producing investments such as shares that pay dividends each year? Um, well, hopefully pay dividends each year, uh, given what happened during COVID when some companies <laughs> didn't pay dividends. Um, do you So mm. do you rely on these income producing um, investments where you, you take the income out? Um, but you can equally invest in um, things that will grow fast and just expect to sell part of that stake each year um, to give you the money to pay your bills. Okay, so you want a bit of a, a, a kind of blend of, of different um, approaches in a nice diversified portfolio. What I was going to say, Marcus, was that in addition to that investment portfolio and the importance of making sure there is some growth, so your retirement savings will keep pace with inflation, hopefully, you know, beat it a little bit. Um, you you do need to be careful if you're staying invested. There always is the risk with stock market investments that prices can go down as well as up. Um, so if you're going to rely on withdrawing money from investments, then the safe approach is to keep a, probably a couple of years worth of living expenses in cash. Um, and that means that if there is a year, you know, for example, you know, last March, the market dropped by 30% in the initial COVID crash, even though it's um, rebounded significantly since then. Um, but what it means is if there is a crash, but, you know, guess what? You've, you've still got to pay your gas and your water and your council tax. Um, you've got this cash that you can fall back on. So you don't have to sell investments when prices are low. Um, there is a very real risk in retirement that if there's a crash early on in your retirement and you sell a lot of your investments, it's far, far harder um, for your um, retirement pot to bounce back as markets recover. Of course, yes. So even if you're nice and diversified across assets, countries, sectors, whatever it is, when we go through periods of extreme stress and proper crashes, almost all investments will go down generally during those periods of time. So you need to be cognizant of that as well. Um, have, have that emergency cash. Have that emergency, yeah. So and, and I suppose my final question is, are annuities completely off the table then? Are they just going to be rubbish forever? You know what? I think annuities can still have um, a really good um, play, a really good part in funding retirement. I, you know, I think there's a couple of different ways they can be used um, it, because you you don't necessarily want to be all or nothing. It's back to the idea of being well diversified. Um, the key thing to remember with annuities is that 
um, the older you are and the iller you are, the better better rate you're going to get, the more income you're going to get. So if you're somebody who's 55 thinking of tapping into your tax-free lump sum for your pension saving, that's not a great time to be buying an annuity. Um, however, if you are later in life, maybe you're reaching your 80s, you no longer want the responsibility of managing investments, then you might think of buying an annuity so that you um, using a chunk of your pension to buy an annuity so you have the certainty of that regular income um, for the remainder of your life. Um, you might also want to, to look at different parts of your income. Um, so you might say, well, my bills, my essential expenses tot up to that amount. Um, state pension will cover a certain amount. You know what? I will get an annuity that's going to cover, I will use part of my pension bot to, to buy an annuity that covers the extra bit of my essential bills. And then I've got the freedom and choice to tap into the remainder of my pension pot um, for the kind of fun stuff that could be delayed um, till the next year if markets aren't looking great brilliant well uh faith's article will be in the magazine as i said faith fantastic to talk to you lovely to talk to you okay well we hope you enjoyed that interview it's great to speak to faith again we do laugh for our journalists here at steps now i've put the link to the mag it's in the bio of the pod so please click on it and read it there's loads of good stuff in there and of course share it and the podcast widely please right now until next time goodbye